Welcome to the 59th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, a deep dive into the NBA Finals action so far, and a discussion of the replacements named for the MLB All-Star Game, as well as some other All-Star Break events that we will discuss. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We will start in the NBA with NBA Finals predictions, Game 2 of the NBA Finals, Bucks versus Suns. Bucks at Suns in this game. Patrick correctly picked the Suns, who won that game 118-108. Then the series moved back to Milwaukee, well, moved to Milwaukee, uh, for Game 3 of that series, with Patrick correctly picking the Bucks to win that game, who won 120-100 to make the series 2-1 Suns over Bucks after three games, and made Patrick 2-0 in his NBA predictions. Turning to Major League Baseball, the Yankees took two of three from the Astros, and it's almost a sweep by the Yankees of the Astros. Patrick, but a late-game comeback by the Astros got them the last game. Patrick incorrectly picked the Astros to win that series. Similarly, the Mariners took two of three from the Angels, with Patrick incorrectly picking the Angels. And the Rays took two of three from the Blue Jays, with Patrick incorrectly picking the Blue Jays. The final weekend predict- series predicted by the Patricks, Cardinals and Cubs split two games as Sunday's game was postponed. So there is no winner in those predictions, leaving Patrick 0-3 in his Major League Baseball predictions for the weekend, 2-3 overall in this weekend's predictions. That brings him to 145 and 108 overall, a 57.3 winning percentage this season. Patrick, your thoughts? Well, I will say that after this weekend, uh, my hate for the Astros has never been any larger than it is right now. Uh, As the Astros, the hottest team, they're always scoring so much. Failed to score a single run for the first two games of this series. Uh, they lost 4 to nothing and 1 to nothing in the first two games. I saw that game and I was like, okay, the Astros are easily going to win this. They've only given up a run. They've only given up four runs. If you had told me they gave up four runs, one run, and seven runs, I would say they won two out of three and there's even a chance that they sweep because they did win the game that they gave up seven runs in. They scored six runs in the bottom of the ninth to come back from a 7-2 to deficit to win game three of the series, 8-7, to yet they couldn't score. By the way, if they had put the ninth inning and dispersed it over the entire series, they would have won two of the games. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if they had just taken that and put it in the first two games of the series, they could have won both games. Um, but in the end, they don't get any run production in the first two games of the series, uh, and Because of that, they lose that series. Thanks a lot, Astros. Really helpful. Although, credit to Garrett Cole for getting his revenge on the Astros with that complete game that he threw in that 1-0 victory. I would not say... I wouldn't say that game was on the Astros' bats. I would say that's them facing an incredible pitcher who has struggled recently but seemed to have reclaimed his form. Uh, Unfortunately for him, he's got to get it broken up by the All-Star break. Uh, Then in the next series, uh, look, the Angels... It's, it's tough predicting these two teams. They're both they're both sitting at around 500. Actually, going into the weekend, these teams were separated by no by nothing in the loss column and just two wins in the win column. Uh, I believe the Mariners with the two-win advantage there. And I just decided to pick the Angels because I thought, you know what? Neither of these teams have strong pitching. The matchups don't really matter that much. I will trust the Angels hitting to bring them over the edge, and it didn't happen uh, despite... Shohei Otani hitting a 465-foot warm-up bomb before the All-Star, before his home run derby appearance uh, to the third deck in Seattle. 
he he still managed to, you know, lose games because it's the Mike Trout syndrome with the Angels. No matter what the best player does, uh, the rest of the team sometimes just doesn't follow, and they only end up winning the last game of that series. Uh, and then the Blue Jays did exactly the same thing that the Angels and the Astros did. They could not score for the first two games of a series, and then in the third game, they finally decided to wake up, but that's too late for them to win my predictions. Every single series, other than the one that literally didn't count, uh, was over in the first two games, which I don't think has ever happened uh, in my weekend predictions, to be quite honest. So overall, a weird week in the MLB. I thought those series would be a lot closer. And, you know, I, I think, honestly, these were really evenly matched teams, so nobody was going to sweep this weekend. So these, the all these three losing uh, two out of three and all of them losing the first two, that's as close as to a sweep as you're going to get with this. So pretty much not even close, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> And obviously skipping over the NBA there so that we can uh, reserve it for our next segment. Right, so our next segment will be a look at the NBA Finals, but just a reminder, first, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday, as always, at 4thand24.com. So let's turn the page and look at the NBA Finals, the Bucks against the Phoenix Suns. Patrick, let's start with Game 1. Uh, honestly, let, before we even go into game-by-game, uh, game, I would like to say overall... These have been a pre- compared to the rest of the <laughs> compared to the rest of the series in the NBA playoffs this year. This has been an incredible series so far. Um, doesn't measure up to some series in the past that I can remember, especially a lot of those uh, or a few of those Golden State and Cleveland series, uh, and probably not even what the Raptors against the Warriors uh, was. But in the end, still closer than the Lakers against the Heat, though. Let's let's not lie to ourselves there. Uh, Regardless of the result that ends up, because, you know, frankly, it's possible that this this series might be over before the next time we record uh, and talk about the NBA. But regardless of that result, this has been an interesting, intriguing finals. And maybe the scores on paper are a little bit misleading because it doesn't... On one hand, it feels like there were points in both in all three of the games where one team was just completely dominating. And in the end, when the score is that close, it does tell you somebody kept it close and they both, both teams did keep it close. Uh, but yes, you're right. Let's go to game one now. Uh, the Phoenix Suns won that game at home, 118 to 105. Uh, the only thing I have to say about this game, it is a gr- it was a great team win for the Phoenix Suns. Every starter with a plus minus of plus 13 or better, 10 off the bench for Cam Johnson and campaign. Uh, and then the most important contributions came from the three you'd expect to make huge contributions: Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton. Uh, Chris Paul with 32 points, 9 assists, 4 rebounds on 12 of 19 shooting. Devin Booker with 27 points, 6 assists on 8 of 21 shooting, which a little bit rough for him, but still 10 of 10 from the free throw line to kind of compensate for that. Uh, And then DeAndre Ayton had 22 points and 19 rebounds on 8 of 10 shooting. And then on the Bucs side, Giannis had 20 points, Chris Middleton had 29. But overall, nobody really uh, was able to, uh, and Middleton was not, Incre- he was he was decently efficient, but not incredibly efficient, and overall, just not enough to beat Phoenix when you have two guys getting 10 for them off the bench and all those contributions, as I said, from Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton. Moving on to Game 2 of this series, the Suns won 118-108. to 108. By the way, it's seeming like, I, I'm not going to lie, it seems like there's a certain range that every single score of this, uh, of this series is going to end up in, and it seems like if you score about 110 or 115... You're gonna win uh, as long as you hold your opponent under 105 or 110. It, it seems like that's how you're gonna 
end up making the that's how you're going to end up getting the win. Uh, it just seems like that's the way it's been working right now. However, uh, in game two, as I said, the Suns win one eighteen to one oh eight. Giannis has forty two points, twelve rebounds, and four assists. But in the end, the Suns are still able to overcome that performance to win this game. Uh, honestly. I don't know if it reminded you of this, but it was kind of a little bit reminiscent of LeBron against the Warriors in Game 1 of the 2018 NBA Finals, where LeBron scores 51-8-8, scores 51 points with 8 rebounds and 8 assists, but his team still loses in overtime by, actually pretty interestingly enough, that 10 points, the same exact margin that Phoenix ends up winning this game by. Um, And honestly... Look, Giannis is surrounded better, but the way they played, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton kind of reminded me a little bit of Tristan Thompson and um, J.R. Smith from that Cleveland Cavs team because they were not good. Uh, 12 of 37 combined with just 28 points between them compared to Giannis uh, taking less shots to get 42 on his own. Uh, And by the way, Middleton was even worse than Drew. He was 5 of 16 from the field. Drew Holiday was 7 of 21, but overall combining to be less than making a third of their shots, almost at 30%. Uh, Booker, on the other hand, scores 31 on 7 of 12 from 3. Jay Crowder and DeAndre Ayton grab 11 and 10 rebounds, respectively, to go with 10 and 11 points, respectively, both getting important triple-doubles. Chris Paul goes for 23, 8, and 4, while Mikel Bridges scores 27. If you get two starters to get a double-double and all the rest of the starters to score 23 or more, you're most likely going to win the game, especially when the other team has two of their starters combining to shoot 12-37. The Suns just played, again, really, really well as an entire team unit, and that is the reason why they were able to win this game. And kind of going back to that whole finals thing, uh, yes, that was the game that infamously uh, J.R. Smith had no idea how much time left was on, (laughs) how much time was left on the clock, and the game went into overtime because of it. Uh, Then in game three, the Bucs win 120-100, to Giannis took over this game in every way possible. Ironically, he scored less than he did in Game 2 and almost had an identical stat line. But however, 41 points, 13 rebounds, and 6 assists, so 2 extra assists, 1 extra rebound, 1 less point. But most importantly, he was 13 of 17 from the free throw line compared to 11 of 18 in Game 2. Pretty, honestly, pretty good, both of them, for him. But still, 13 of 17 for Giannis from the free throw line is outstanding for how he has been shooting in the playoffs. Nobody on the Suns had over 20 points, and in the entire game, Drew Holiday was the only one over 20 points besides Giannis. Drew pitching in 21, but look, he was basically the entire scoring for both teams in the whole game. Uh, Also, the Suns' worst loss of the playoffs so far, uh, that 20-point margin, Booker only scores 10, CP3 scores uh, 19, I believe, and look, Giannis so far, every single every single time you go to commercial, ESPN shows a different graphic of a different playoff record that he set for first three games of a finals career, and somehow his team is still down 2-1, although they have come back from a 2-0 deficit before against the Brooklyn Nets, who you could argue are, are even a harder opponent to go against because Kevin Durant's championship experience uh, and James Harden's playoff experience, although albeit a a very hobbled James Harden. But the Bucs, no doubt, have what it takes to come back. I don't know if they're going to do it. What are your thoughts on this series so far? I think our predictions at the beginning of the series are kind of holding true. I think um, I'm 
I'm surprised how healthy Giannis is. He's playing well. But uh, I know I predicted the Suns to win. Still think that will happen, but I'll add another layer to my predictions, which is the first team to win a road game in this series wins the NBA championship. Uh, I think it's honestly, honestly, I think it's possible that no team wins a road game in this entire series. So it is, it is, in, it is very, very possible. I predicted the Bucks in seven at the beginning, and I'm going to be quite honest. I'm tempted to change it to the Suns, but look, the Bucks have done this before. They failed to win the first two games against the Nets. Uh, yes, it's hard, but at the same time, they're not down 2-0 after losing the two games at home. They're down 2-0 after losing the two games on the road. Maybe they get they come home, they get a little bit calibrated, they play better in this game. Uh, Drew Holiday and Middleton were both very, very solid in this game. I wouldn't say this was like Middleton in, in, in those games against the Hawks where he took over when Giannis was out in that last game of that series, but he was still good enough. And I think overall, they're just playing well enough that I don't feel like I should change it because, look, we're only three games in the series. We're not doing revising predictions, yes. of course, because there's only one series to do it in. But I don't, I don't necessarily feel confident, I wouldn't say, in the Bucks. But I do feel, I do feel like I, my prediction is still possible. One thing I am sure of is that this series will most likely go seven games. Um, I think you might be right that the Suns win in seven, and I might think you're still wrong that a road team even wins a game. Well, I think the Bucks might take game four, and then I think that the Suns might take game five, and then if the Bucks take game six... To push it to a game seven, then nobody's won a road game until what what happens in game seven. I I sang, I originally predicted that the Suns would win in seven if Giannis right. played, and so I'm layering onto that. The I guess the exception to that is if the Bucks are the first team to win a road game. I'm saying either everybody's going to win all the home games or the team who wins the road the first road game wins the series. Right. That's I'm not changing my prediction. I'm saying though that it looks like whoever can sneak a road game, if if the Sun, let's say another way, if the Suns aren't <laughs> going to win in seven, the first team to win a road game is going to win, and that means Milwaukee's going to win in seven, or the Suns are going to win in six. How's that? Right. Uh, it, I I just think this series is incredibly interesting. We'll, we'll have to see how it keeps progressing. But look, overall, I mean, Giannis, this is exactly what we wanted to see. This is why we wanted to see him in the finals. Correct. Um, this is exactly what we thought was the performance we might get out of him. Uh, except for let's be honest, his first three, his first three or so real playoff experiences with the Bucks, they haven't been too great. He's but he got injured at the end of one of them uh, against the Heat, and then they went up 2-0 famously in the conference finals against the Toronto Raptors, uh, and then the Raptors won every single game for the rest of that series and ended up going to the NBA Finals and winning the championship over the Golden State Warriors. So. He's had some disappointing playoff performances. His free throw shooting hasn't been great. It looks like he's shooting well at home. Uh, but actually, frankly, that's one of the reasons why I don't have confidence in the Bucks winning a road game is because I'm not so sure that the 11 of 18 and 13 of 17 from the free throw line aren't the same performance, just separated by road and home. And the difference between 11 of 18 and 13 of 17 doesn't seem like it's too big, but it really is pretty big when you actually get down to an NBA Finals game where there's such such a low margin for error. And meanwhile, then you have the Suns who missed one free throw in Game 1. Uh, they're just play It looks like the Suns are just playing a little bit too tight for the Bucks to be able to keep up with, and I don't know if they'll be able to keep up with it. Yeah, when I guess one other thing from if the games continue to hold the form, um, as long as the Bucks score 120 in a game, they can they would win every game. Right. 
Um, I, I, that's what I said at the beginning. If yeah. anybody, if any team, it seems like the threshold for the series is if you score over 115 yeah. and you hold the other team, uh, if you hold the other team under 110, you pretty much win. Yeah. Uh, uh, pretty much across the board in this series. And by the way, if the Bucks had, uh, if the Bucks had scored a little bit less today and this game was a little bit closer, I bet it still would have ended up a little bit the same, <laughs> kind of similar to a 118-108 or 118-105 if they had an, uh, opened up their lead really, really early in that fourth quarter. Uh, but I think overall there's a lot of different storylines to track in this series. We we talked about Giannis a bit. Um, Devin Booker had an off night tonight, but for the first two games of the series, Booker and Paul and really all of the Suns starting five had been so stellar. Uh, and then you also have Bobby Portis getting getting a lot of the fan love and being that energy guy off the bench for the Bucks. And hey, Maybe that's what can spark them in this series, just being at home and maybe the energy guy getting cheered for as opposed to just kind of, I don't know, inciting fights on the road and just being booed is maybe 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 the difference is pretty big. So everybody chanting, Bobby, Bobby, probably helps the Bucks' morale a little bit, a lot more than just having him out there just doing his normal thing on the road. Uh, and he is probably a pretty key piece in this in this uh, in the series because the Suns do have two really good shooters that they got off the bench. And their bench scorers can really, really play. Uh, but we'll have to see how this one carries out. I'd like to see Middleton and Holiday do more. Uh, I would say that the Suns have gotten production from all three of their main guys. They don't really have a big three. And I wouldn't say really the Bucks do. But if you're going to give them a big three, uh, the Suns are clearly winning on that front to begin this series. Even, even with how bad uh, Paul... Well, Paul wasn't bad, but Booker was 3 of 14 with 10 points. In game three, even with that performance, I'd still say the Suns, quote unquote, a big three has been outperforming the Bucks. Although speaking of Devin Booker's bad performance, his performance wasn't as bad as Team USA's against Nigeria. Uh, basically, the first string, st- basically the starters of the Miami Heat losing to the second and third stringers of the Miami Heat and Ekpe Udo, who has who has been touted as one of the biggest busts in NBA history. So it, we could let's t- actually let's talk about that for a little bit while we're on the subject of basketball. Uh, maybe Team USA needs the players that are still in the finals to come really quickly. And uh, I don't even know if Greece qualified for the Olympics without Giannis, but maybe he can make an impact and maybe he could even beat the U.S. if Gabe Vincent and Ekpe Udo can. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and Mike Braun's no coaching genius, but uh, whoever drew up that last play for Team USA when they were down three and they have Kevin Durant and Dame Lillard on the floor and they can't draw up a play with both of them on the floor, they can't get one of them open... And, and they have Dame trying to facilitate a pass, which I don't think he's done for the last eight years and on the last And if it was a fight. pass to Kevin Durant, I get it, but it's a pass to... Zach Levine. Zach Levine handling the ball. Although, don't don't get me wrong, oh, Zach Levine... Hold, don't get me wrong, Zach Levine is a, is pretty clutch, but at the same time... But at the same time, he's not on the level of Katie or Dame, no. Yeah, he should be the one getting... I mean, that was that was just... He doesn't have a slogan about himself that he's backed up a million times before. I mean, maybe if it was a dunk contest to win the game, like, you know, in soccer where you, you play for the world's biggest matches and you play for, I don't know, eight hours with one set of rules and you're like, okay, enough, we'll change the rules mid-game. Oh, I'm sorry, I got sidetracked on my hatred of soccer, uh, which was also today. I mean, maybe that's how they should decide international basketball games. It's not, you know, we're just going to stop them. We'll have Zach Levine dunk for a dunk contest. Um, well, so. that's that might be the worst idea I've ever heard you come up with uh, in sports it's or not It's just as bad as a shootout in soccer. It's stupid. Well, actually, I don't think it is because uh, 
I don't know what you're talking about because the game wasn't tied, so that doesn't have anything to do with anything. But but anyway, um, the coach that you're mentioning also, let's just, without being too rude to him, Lloyd Pierce did get fired by the Hawks, and then all of a sudden they turned from, an, uh, from a sub-500 team to a conference finals team as soon as they picked up Nate McMillan. Well, by the way, by the way, thank you, Indiana Pacers, for going from a four seed to an under 500 team. If you see the two correlations there, there's one link. Nate McMillan makes a team a lot better than the talent that they have on the court. No, 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 nothing against Trey Young and John Collins and those guys. They do have a lot of talent in Atlanta, but Indiana had a lot of talent too and should have made the playoffs. Uh, and also, Atlanta shouldn't have been under 500 anywhere near the All-Star break, and yet they were. Um, so yeah, so USA lost to Nigeria in exhibition basketball. 90-87, and that's what we're talking about. Uh, but they, had, they got the ball with down three with... About 15 seconds left. 15 seconds left. And didn't get a shot off, actually. Didn't, didn't and get then, a shot off. And then with three seconds left, they, they got fouled because Nigeria realized that their, their win condition for the game is just a foul and run the clock out, and it worked perfectly. Um, although I'm surprised at the number of NBA players that Nigeria has. I never knew that they had that many players. I think they have six or seven guys, none of them real stars, but all of them at least decent role players who get some minutes. Josh Okogi and Gabe Vincent and uh, Precious Achua, who's an up-and-coming player. Although I will say uh, Precious Achua should not be beating Bam out of bio because otherwise the Heat would be playing him a lot more <laughs> um, and Bam wouldn't be an all-star if his own teammate was better than him. But that's enough of a sidetrack on that. But third loss, third loss ever for USA basketball in exhibition play. And as we said, and Greg Popovich said in the post-game interview, probably a good thing that it happened now. Team probably needed that wake-up call. And as you said, not all the players are there. And and I will say, I will say, if you get Middleton and Booker in that team, I guarantee you. By the way, Zach Levine probably doesn't even. He's probably not even in the in the final five lineup on the court at the end of the game if you have Booker and Middleton because. You got four closers for really good teams. Uh, you got Kevin Durant, Dame, Devin Booker, and Chris Middleton, who are the closers for two final teams. They would definitely be the one shooting instead of Zach Levine. But no offense to Zach Levine. We just both were uh, a little bit confused on how that ended up as the play at the end of the game. Uh, but before we move on to our next segment, I would like to say the NBA Finals have definitely been more interesting than that exhibition game. And I don't know why, but apparent, but it seems like there were no fans in in Vegas, but at the same time, that's what they'll be training for in the Olympics. But there uh, will be fans uh, for the rest of the games of the NBA Finals, uh, which... Pick packed back- houses, too, and also packed streets outside of the building in Milwaukee, at least, too. And fireworks that scared the players in post-game interviews. Uh, <laughs> but the NBA Finals are going to resume with that game for Milwaukee we'll see on Wednesday. Uh, we'll see if it holds true to form with the home team winning every game. Definitely going to be an entertaining series. Um, as, as the first three games have been, and we look forward to talk about it, talking about it on our upcoming podcasts. Um, but now let's turn our attention to what's going to go on Tuesday night um, and the day surrounding that, which is activities around the M- MLB All-Star Game. First, let's talk about some updates to the All-Star Game rosters that uh, we've been talking about in previous podcasts. Well, some of our snubs got in. Uh, one of your picks, who was not a snub, but one of your picks nonetheless got in too. Uh, in the American League, we have Tim Anderson, a shortstop from the Chicago White Sox. Chris Bassett, one of my snubs, uh, <laughs> an Oakland starting pitcher. Whit Merrifield, your original pick for Pinch being extraordinaire. The, the speed guy. Uh, <laughs> listed as a second baseman, although he plays the outfield too. Uh, and Joey Wendell, uh, he plays for Kansas City. And Joey Wendell from the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, who 
I mean, I don't really know how to put a position on him. Uh, he, I, the, I know that he doesn't play first base, catcher, and pitcher. But other than that, I've seen him everywhere. So I don't really want to give him a position because I don't think he would identify as a position. I think he'd say... I've been baseball player. I would yeah, I'm a baseball player. I'm a position player. Call me call me the utility player. Uh call me the American League Chris Taylor. E- exactly. Interestingly enough, uh they're taking the place of four Astros. So the entire Houston group of uh All-Stars are not playing Another reason for I like a, the Astros. <laughs> for a variety of reasons. Uh Jose Altuve nursing in nursing a long-standing nagging injury. Uh, Michael Brantley has the same situation. He actually just came back off the IL, so played a few games and then wants to take a break to me. (laughs) Okay, really? Uh, Wants to play a few games and then, you know, take a little bit of a rest. Are you going to call Mookie soft too? I doubt it. Um, Then you have Carlos Correa, who he has a lot of issues right now, actually. He was supposed to originally, he was thinking about resting because he has uh, a pregnant wife. And also a nagging injury like Altuve, and then actually ended up on the COVID IL after all of that. So he has three reasons why he's not going to be participating. And then uh, Ryan Presley also having uh, a pregnant wife. So he's actually on the paternity IL, which I discovered like two or three years ago with Jock Peterson when he was on the Dodgers. Um, But anyway, so those four Astros players aren't going to be in it. Um, I would argue, though... Those three, those four, it's actually kind of sad to not be in it because they were all really deserving of it. I, to be quite honest, not to wish harm on anybody, but I'd rather Nathan Eovaldi not be pitching than having Ryan Presley not be pitching. Um, especially because what's up with this whole thing of putting literally no relievers in the game? Uh, there's eight starting pitchers on both rosters to begin with. And then Presley goes out and they replace him with another starter. So now the AL has nine starting pitchers. And four relief pitchers on the roster. That doesn't make any sense, especially because relievers are... Like, you can mess up a starter's work schedule. Relievers are used to pitching every couple days, every other day, days in a row. Used to coming... It, just, that, it makes no sense. Yeah, it, it's weird, but at the same time, I think it's because... Um, would you rather... I mean, look. The guys who have the same stats pitching eight, pitching five to six or seven innings, every game is a little bit more impressive... Uh, than the guys pitching one or two, and at the same time, the All-Star game, if you if you put together a starting pitching staff, I think it actually comes from the fact that they would always just put five pitchers, eight relievers, and then it would end up that they do, this pitcher takes an inning, this pitcher takes an inning, this pitcher takes an inning, and in the end, you end up getting a bullpen game anyway, pretty much kind of a de facto bullpen game. Do you know, this a strange question, do you know if the three-hitter minimum applies to the All-Star game? I do not know, but... Because if it does, that I, could be a reason why you have more starters, too. I, I'd really hope it doesn't, because that would make it... Uh, th- that would make there that would make there be a possibility that it is an impossibility to have everyone pitch in the All-Star game, which, to be quite honest, that would be kind of stupid. Um, but at the same time, we are talking about the MLB and rules, so they probably did come up with a stupid rule. Um, and many people would argue that the MLB that that rule in general shouldn't be a thing. Uh, I don't. I don't. I, I think it's okay. Um, but if it's in the All Star game, I'm not going to lie. That's kind of a stupid rule uh, because look, they're going to put 13 pitchers on the roster. They can change the position players every out if they felt like it. And there's like 30 guys on the roster that they're going to get into the game. But at the same time, then you have the pitchers and you can't let half of them pitch because of a batter minimum. Like imagine if everybody's pitching well in the NL. And everybody just, what if there's a combined no-hitter? 
in the NL because that's been the theme of this season, right? Everybody's no hitting everybody. There's a all of a sudden, not changing pitchers anyway. All of a sudden, well, all well, but again, if everybody's no hitting one individual inning, they are going to change pitchers because they're not going to realize that it's a no hitter so until later in the game. game for a combined no hitter versus three. I, yeah, but in the end, you get you get four guys who don't pitch because they literally cannot pitch, which I, I, kind of be it, it's look, weird. I don't know what the rule is, and maybe I could look. At I, hope talking, I hope it's not. I hope it's not, not also because yeah. that's also the fun is seeing okay. Got this great Match left-handed yeah. hitter from the American yeah. League. We're going to bring in the nastiest sidearm, herky-jerky motion, exactly. screwball-throwing knucklehead from the bullpen in the, in the American League. Exactly. Yeah. That, that That is one of the things that people like from the All-Star game is a lot is that you get to see these matchups, especially in baseball where there's so, much we, there's so many weird scheduling rules between the NL and AL that they don't really play each other at all that you get this, these matchups that you don't see. A Fernando Tatis against... Uh, I don't know a Nathan Eva. Uh, that's not that interesting. Um, uh, Chris Bassett. Uh, you get Tim Anderson against Jacob DeGrasse. Oh, he's injured too. Well, okay. Let's go to the the, again, these are these are kind of the things that were. This is why you don't want people to be replaced and why you don't want people to be out. Uh, because you want to see these dream matchups. You want to see Jacob DeGrasse against all the best of the AL. Because look, we've seen him against the NL. We know he kills the NL because he's killing the entire league this year. Let's see what he does against the AL and. Speaking of Jacob DeGrom, uh, in the National League, Walker Bueller, Justin Turner, Max Scherzer, Taiwan Walker, Freddie Peralta, and Yadier Molina are taking the place of Mookie Betts, Buster Posey, Hugh Darvish, Brandon Woodruff, Kevin Gosman, and, as I said before, Jacob DeGrom. Uh, although it was later announced that Omar Narvaez will take Molina's spot because Molina is, uh, like Mookie Betts, like Jose Altuve, nursing a nagging injury, which... I, I'm so glad that I haven't tripped up on that sentence yet because that's actually really hard to say. That's a little bit of a tongue twister. Um, but they're both nursing those nagging injuries. Yeah, I did it again. And they will not be playing, which many people will will say, oh, but you should play in the All-Star game for the good of the fans. And they will respond with, no, I will, pl- I will not play because I want to win the World Series. Uh, in Mookie's case, I want to repeat. In Jose Altuve's case, I want to get back there. And in Jacob deGrom's case, I want to win a game because I always pitch really well and still somehow never win games. Um, So, look, there's a lot of replacements. And then also, the most recent replacement, Manny Machado will replace Ronald Acuna Jr., although that position does not, the positions don't really match up there at all. Um, But Ronald Acuna, with the rare ACL tear uh, as a baseball player, uh, it's been a while since I've seen that, but... Really sad for him. Uh, your your Braves division pick is probably is not looking it's too good right down, now. Down the tubes. I think uh, that it, it's funny the way the positions worked out. Even though this wasn't done at the same time, Justin Turner I think technically replaced Mookie, Mookie Betts. Betts. Yes, so he, he did. lost an outfielder for a third. He got and gained a third baseman, and then he lost an outfielder in Acuna and Acuna and got another third baseman. So yeah, so they ended now, up with <laughs> basically an entire roster of third, third basemen baseman. in the uh, in the National League. Yeah, I guess Chris Taylor's going to be playing outfield. Well, and you can also, honestly, you could even play Max Muncy at third base, too. He used to do that when Turner tipped days off. I so. think Chris Bryant won't be playing third base this game. Oh, well, yes, I was about to say. But this is what I was saying, where I was saying that Turner should be in this game because you have all this positional flexibility because you could have taken a lot of these guys out. Who's a short stop? Could Manny could play short? Well, how about his teammate? I know, but you who's can move one of the slot him in after? Yeah, I don't think I don't think Tatis is going to be happy if Machado replaces him at his position. And maybe these guys just come in as pinch hitters too. Who's yeah, that that's the other thing. I mean, we talked about Max Muncy deserving to be a starter, and all of a sudden he's the starting DH and hitting second in the lineup anyway. Maybe a little bit of Dave Roberts favoritism there, just a little, uh, just a little bit. Um, but 
Yeah, in the end, you have a lot of replacements. Uh, unfortunately, Woodruff and Gosman, just because they started on Sunday, so they're actually going to be there, but they have different guys replacing them on the roster. Uh, the, some of the other guys not actually traveling, although I'm pretty sure Mookie Betts would be traveling, considering that the Dodgers play in Colorado directly after the All-Star break, so wouldn't really make much sense to not be there at all. Um, but if you're the Dodgers, you get a nice little comfortable flight. Uh, Dodgers All-Star, especially Walker Buehler and Justin Turner, you sat there, you were very disappointed that you didn't make it, and all of a sudden, you get added to the team, and now you get to stay in Colorado for a week, which uh, I, I guess can be a good thing, can be a bad thing, but look, they don't have to travel after the All-Star break, they'll take it. Uh, I, overall, I will say, in the end, when after reading out all of these names, it feels like they're not even replacement players. These feel like these could be real all-stars in other seasons. I mean, Tim Anderson has batted above 300 for three seasons in a row and somehow hasn't made a single all-star game, which is mostly due to the fact that last year there wasn't an all-star game and he was the batting tie- he was the batting champion last year. But overall, it's just been... It, it, I feel like these guys should be starters, or not starters, but should be on the rosters. And again, there's just so many good players, uh, but all these guys are deserving even the replacements, in my opinion. So, overall, I feel like we got a good mix of players. And by the way, I'm pretty sure everybody in the record books gets to say that they were an all-star, even if they were replaced for a various reason. And the replacements get to say that they were all-stars, even though they didn't really make the roster. Uh, so, Justin Turner gets his second all-star appearance. Walker Buehler gets his second, which is well-deserved for him. And by the way, as we talked about, it uh, looks like we got our wish there is a Dodgers pitcher on the roster. Yeah, and all the people that we thought got snubbed and that whole discussion. And we said it might shake out this way. But all the people that we, all the people we particularly point out as getting snubbed, um, have made the team. And ironically, um, Freddie Peralta made it in place of Woodruff, who I actually said, even though they're teammates, I said that Peralta should have replaced Woodruff because Peralta was better, and it's the same team. So you're basically comparing the two similar guys. Um, and funny enough, Woodruff pitches on Sunday. Oops, Peralta missed the start by one day. Peralta was scheduled to start. If there was a Monday game, he would have started the Monday game. So ironically enough, Peralta lucks out and he ends up pitching in the All-Star game instead of Woodruff. So I get my snub in. Um, and then Jacob DeGrom, how about him lobbying for Taiwan Walker to get into the game? Just talking about how, look, the Mets' top three of starting pitching has been a- as good, if not better, than the than the Brewers. And all of those three guys got in. And they only originally, and look, the Mets only originally got in DeGrom. So... And Strowman's been good too, but uh, how about DeGrom saying, let's get Taiwan Walker in the game, he deserves it, and in the end, he gets his wish. Although technically, Walker replaced Gosman and not Peralta, and not uh, <laughs> and not DeGrom, but I, I, I don't think that's actually really how it went down. Yeah, well, so then my question for you is, did you think Will Smith should have been um, the replacement for Yadier, or did you like the Navarre's replacement? Well, I just think that Honestly, you know, they are having players do this and they're doing player ballots. So at some point, once you get down the, oh, guys, here, oh, guys, here, come do this, come vote for this. Uh, then they go, okay, we'll do this. And then you ask them, oh, by the way, vote for 10 replacements now because you have to. I feel like as a player, that would get kind of annoying, especially if you're not on the roster yourself. Um, and frankly, there are only 60 players in the league who are on the roster. So pretty much annoying for 90% of the league. So let's be quite honest. I would be pretty fed up after hearing, oh, we need to replace Buster Posey. Here, catcher over here, you vote for a new catcher. Okay, it's Yadier Molina, not you. Oh, Molina can't play, so you vote for another one. Um, I feel like at some point, these guys aren't looking at stats. They don't really care. 
especially when you're down to the replacement for the replacement for the replacement. Yeah. At some point, some you're point not going like, to get... You're, they're just going to throw a name out. Exactly. Um, and maybe, by the way, I, I talked about this a lot. Will Smith is so young that maybe they're just saying, look, Smith will be there for years. Narvaez is a little bit older, so probably not as likely that he'll get as many appearances in the future as Smith. And Smith has been looking better and better and better. Uh, and Narvaez has probably been the best season of his career. So overall... I'm okay with that, honestly. Okay, well, do you want to turn now to some other action uh, going on in and around the All-Star Game? All right, let's, uh, obviously, the, the best-known event uh, is the Home Run Derby. Uh, we already talked about this on the last podcast, but just going over really quickly to, to have it down right before, as this podcast will release right before uh, the Home Run Derby takes place, I have Otani over Olsen in the finals, and you have Mancini over Perez. So, uh, pretty interesting, but, uh, you know, I'll leave you to do you. Uh, and frankly, I'm looking at it myself, and I saw Joey Gallo hit a home run with a 44-degree launch angle, and I'm really, really mad at myself for picking Matt Olson over him. No shade to Matt Olson, but, uh, look, if Gallo's gonna hit home runs on 44-degree launch angles in Texas in a dome, uh, Good luck keeping him in the park in Colorado. Yeah, good, j- just just good luck. It's it's not going to happen. So, uh, frankly, if I could, I would change my pick. I might even pick Gaio over Otani, but look, there's a there's a large chance that that Gaio wins this. I like what Gaio has to Joey Gallo has to offer. Gaio or Gallo, I never know. It's, um, I've heard both people say it different ways. And so I, I agree with that, and I I unironically I said Gallo last podcast, and now I'm saying Gaio just out of force of habit. So I don't really know. Um, but let's move on to some lesser-known events. The Home Run Derby will obviously be the most intriguing. Uh, it'll be insane. But some lesser-known events that are still part of the schedule. The All-Star Futures game took place to, took place yesterday, I should say, uh, featuring the top prospects from around the league in many different, uh, frankly, from all different teams. Uh, the Celebrity Softball game, uh, both of those have been played already, although the Celebrity Softball game plays a day before but then gets aired after the Home Run Derby, which is... Don't ask me why. Um, Then the MLB draft this year was integrated with the All-Star Weekend. It took place in Denver. The first round of it took place. They had some of the players there in person. Pretty cool to watch that. Uh, Overall, I think think it was pretty interesting watching the draft. I watched some of it. Uh, I'm going to be honest. It's less obvious in... In, in in baseball than it is in the NBA in terms of who's going to get picked and who's going where and who needs what. Because there's so many different positions, and these guys don't even play for like two or three years at a minimum, some of them for a lot longer. Um, but still, nonetheless, very interesting. And then after that, you have the All-Star Game. So look, I, I, I we just wanted to talk about that because I say... I'd say that most people don't know a lot about what happens outside of the All-Star game and the Home Run Derby in the MLB, so we wanted to cover that those games do in fact exist, they do have other teams, there's even an open workout before the Home Run Derby and the All-Star game, both uh, in person, but I don't know if they're televised, so didn't want to cover those. Yeah, I'm sure that MLB Network has uh, those games televised, but it's more than just, uh, I think MLB actually took a page when they saw how popular... Uh, NBA made their NBA the skills Week. challenge and yeah, they, yeah. but NBA All Star Weekend with the dunk contest. I mean, home run derby. And frankly, you could do a skills challenge of fielding in the MLB. It would probably be pretty interesting to clock guys on outfield arms. You could do a lot of different things, Hitting but they haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, they haven't gotten around to it. I mean, look, the NFL does it too at the Pro Bowl where they do the quarterbacks throwing onto targets. They could literally take the exact same idea and do it on a larger scale with the baseball instead of the football. But ironically, MLB took a page out of uh, the NBA with slam dunk competition. 
Home Run Derby was actually a television show way back in the 50s that was a, a different way for players to make money. And they, it's now become more popular than the game itself, kind of like the dunk contest. Anyway, uh, that wraps up the, this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, July 16th, where we will take a look at uh, the week in action of Major League Baseball, which mostly will entail the All-Star break, so probably a little uh, shorter detail on how the teams did. And, maybe and a little some, more of the, of of the, the All-Star itself. review, yeah. Yeah, Home Run Derby itself. And then uh, we will also probably have another installment of random, assorted, important news in the world of sports. If and this time any... we'll talk about soccer, but without talking about bad rules in it, because it's not the only sport with bad rules in it. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see. I, it's very hard for me to bite my tongue on that topic. But anyway, <laughs> in the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games and his MLB Power Rankings updates, which are posted on Saturdays. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.